When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hi. Very excited about this very original, very uh, uh, topic thing that we have never ever you and i have ever discussed before i cannot wait to discuss the best players on worst teams ever jason with you for the first time of course for the first time <laughs> why i had to yeah. preface that i don't know i mean obviously every show we do is the first time we talk about that topic just for some reason it felt good to be able to talk to you about this particular topic for the one and only time that we're ever going to talk about this particular topic of course so of course yeah i mean there, there's no chance that we may have had a conversation about this already that somehow accidentally didn't get recorded yeah that's and, like deja vu you know deja vu is is i i've i often have that and, you know there's sure. some you know people will, will will say oh deja vu is this or it's your brain doing this or whatever so that might right. be what you're going through right now i guess i mean this is clearly okay. to me the only time i've ever talked to you uh, about this topic so i don't know what's going on with you i guess maybe um maybe you should google some dream you know thoughts that you know deja vu sure. or or study your maybe. dreams a little bit but uh yeah that's kind of wild that you feel like we've talked about this before because we definitely i don't know jason we definitely have not so that's that's kind of weird Right. Well, you know, speaking of making the best of a bad situation by you know, trying again for this, we are, are the focus of our show today is the best NBA players on the worst teams. So we're going to approach this a couple different ways. One, we have some statistical thresholds that we just sort of picked to look at, like, you know, and we're going to we'll get to a couple here in just a moment. Like, for example, players that average 30 points per game for teams that won less than 30 games in a season. Fairly rare circumstance to happen. So we're you know going to kind of dig into that. And then we're also going to look at you know the, the 10 worst performing teams over a season and try to pick, you know, which player from each of those teams uh, was the best performer. So it should be a fun one to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And the, and the real uh, inspiration of this is unfortunately Bradley Beal, who is con- continually going on. Uh, and we'll, t- we'll touch on him here in a little bit in this first part, but uh, he, he is our inspiration just because of how bad the uh, Wizards are and how bad it appears they're going to be and how great uh, he is as well. Not just this year in a year where, you know, offensive ex- has exploded, but also last year as well where he stood out on a pretty bad team. And, and it looks like he, at least for now, as of this recording, is in for the long haul <laughs> you know, for the Wizards. I don't know. Uh, by the end of this year, he might be thinking, ah, you know what, uh, well, maybe not so much. But uh, I, I guess it's it, in some ways it's kind of cool that he's, he's, he's down for being great on a bad team. And, and, and we'll talk about some players here who uh, maybe were both down and, and also not down with being on really bad teams as well. But uh, he is our inspiration here. Bradley Beal, unfortunately, is a, is a great player on a, on a particularly bad team right now. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, we'll start off, as we talked about, uh, looking at players with 30 points per game for teams with less than 30 wins. So we begin, as we always like to begin, with the 1960 Cincinnati Royals. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not a a podcast goes by that we don't start off talking about the 1960 Cincinnati Royals, of course. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, a team with some, you know, we have Jack Twyman, obviously, uh, you know, leading the team in scoring 31.2 names and, you know, illustrious names. Names like, you know, Bucky Bockhorn, Win Wilfong. You know, with Win Wilfong, you think they would have won more games, but, you know, apparently uh, he didn't quite live up to um, his name. Um, Hub Reed, Med Park, you know, uh, Jim Palmer, probably not the same as the Baltimore Orioles pitcher, I'm guessing, but. We don't know um, that. I, 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 without looking it up, I cannot confirm it. I think it would be pretty difficult for him to be a uh, NBA player and then. Right. You know, 15 years after this, go in and, you know, pitch and win 20 games in the in the majors. But uh, I, right. maybe, maybe. I mean, uh, possible. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's uh, it takes all kinds. Which, yeah. uh, of course, we do have a Hall of Famer Wayne Embry um, here, you know, definitely a, a great big man on the early part of his uh, career. Also, you know, great uh, executive for the Bucks and the Cavs later. Um, but yeah, so. Yeah, they were 1956. This was their third year in Cincinnati. They'd been absolutely terrible the last uh, two seasons, but you know, better times were going to be ahead because they were about to get Oscar Robertson. And uh, they, for the most part, be pretty good for the uh, rest of the uh, 60s. So, never, of course, never could get past those uh, Celtics. But, um, yes, and then also with the early 60s, a couple teams from 1962. First, we have... Walt Bellamy, 1962 Packers, 18 and 62. You know, this was an expansion team. You know, pretty much all expansion teams are terrible. And this was, you know, really the first expansion team since the NBA sort of, you know, has has finally sort of established itself with its core eight teams in the uh, middle of the 50s. All the teams that, you know, kind of weeded themselves out from the uh, merger years. This is the the first time they ever expanded. And uh, yeah, it lasted two years in Chicago. And we're like, yeah, yeah, Chicago, not related to the NBA. We're going to go to Baltimore instead. Yeah, Chicago constant, uh, you know, through the NBL, the BAA, the, the any any pro league always said, ah, Chicago, we got to do, and it just never worked. And then, you know, obviously the Bulls come later, you know, many years after the Packers, uh, and it doesn't initially feel like it's going to work there either, which, you know, now seems so ridiculous given, you, you know, what, what a big market uh, Chicago is for the NBA. But yeah, it failed miserably time and time and time again, and, and Chicago Packers, one of many teams that, uh, uh, in, the, in the lineup of, of just dead Chicago basketball franchises. Yeah, they got 15 games out of Barney Cable and still couldn't be more successful. I've always asked my dad because my dad was alive during this time, and I'm always saying, "Hey, did you go to any Chicago Packers games?" And he's like, "God, no, I didn't go." And I, well, Barney Packer was there. Like, you right. sure? <laughs> like, why didn't you not go see that? And and yeah. and he didn't, and that's why it just didn't work in Chicago. Is it, it despite having you know legends and stars like Barney Packer, they you know they just couldn't get in the community. They couldn't get the community yeah. uh, to, uh, to drive uh, over uh, to uh, insert stadium. I forget where they played. I I don't know if they played at the auditorium or the Chicago Stadium, but. Uh, just didn't work, so. Yeah, I uh, no, no, Barney. Uh, they, they played at the International Amphitheater. Oh which, yeah, and, and, oh. and I, I'm sorry, sorry to correct you, but but Barney Cable. Not oh, Barney. Bar- oh, okay, well, whatever. Yeah, either way, Barney Packers, <laughs> completely different thing. Yeah, the legend. That I like to call him the King of Cable, personally. Yes. So. <laughs> yes. Right. So. My dad lived like oh, he legitimately lived like six minutes away from the amphitheater, so I don't know what the hell he was doing here. Uh, maybe right. he did. Maybe I need to re- revisit the discussion about the Chicago Packers uh, with yeah. my dad, but. Uh, 
Right. So the, also the the 1962 Hawks um, were 29 and 51. Bob Pettit, uh, pl- 30 plus points per game. Even coached the team for uh, six games during that season. Yeah, the, it, this is a sort of a weird one because the Hawks they were you know they made the finals for the past five seasons, but they were 29 and 51 this season and. Um, you know, some of the guys were getting older, like, you know, hey, Cliff Hagen was 30. Clyde Lovellette was pretty much at the end. He was 32. But, you know, Lenny Wiggin, Wiggins was young. Um, Lenny Wilkins. No, not Lenny Wiggins. We're having trouble, trouble with last names, uh, apparently. <laughs> we guy. are. Yeah, we're strong. Um, yeah. Um, you know, and, and Pettit's still – he's 29, but he's still going strong, obviously. You know, 31 points per game, 18.7 rebounds um, per game. So, yeah, yeah, they and they'd be fine the next season. They'd be 50-plus wins for, you know, most of the rest of the decade. So it was kind of a weird anomaly the 62 season. Yeah, it, it is strange because you look at the Hawks, and obviously they were they were a real like one of the model franchises of of you know the late fifties, a successful team. And then there's this one little blip in the radar here where their defense it, it, you could especially see it in their defense uh, when you look at the numbers is like they were a really really good con- defensive team for many many years. And then for some reason in 1962 they just decided ah yeah defense yeah, who yeah, needs it right. and it did right. terrible. And then they like went back the next year and they were like good again and their defense is good again with like pretty much the same roster. So I. I don't know what got in the water there in, in, in 1962, yeah. but they were just bad uh, on beat defense. And it's not like they were just like, ah, we, we regressed to 500. They were 29 and 51. They were really bad, but uh, right. I don't know why. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, they, you know, they only got 20 games out of Lenny Wilkins. So I'm, I'm guessing injuries or maybe he had military service commitments. I'm not sure there. Uh, you know, they had 21 uh, guys on the roster, including Barney Cable. Also, <laughs> Barney. Uh, played for both the Packers <laughs> and the Hawks, man. Yeah, he had a rough year, man. That's a lot of losses for old Barney there. He, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, that could explain why my, why my dad didn't remember Barney Cable. He was probably not on the team then when he went to the uh, the Packers game. So yeah, he. I mean, he's not you know driving all the way down to the Kiel Auditorium to go see the uh, St. Louis Sox. <laughs> no, no, certainly not. Disappointing. <laughs> oh, okay, uh, not really dedicated to the early uh, the sixties uh, NBA. Unfortunately, your dad. But not, well, you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's uh, whatever. Uh, next, we have. Um, Adrian Dantley for the 1982 Jazz, who were 25 and uh, 57. And, you know, the Jazz, um, you know, they've obviously just moved to Utah a couple years before this, you know, completely rebuilt the um, the squad. And at this point, like, they had some, you know, some guys who were actually fairly talented. You know, you get, you get Dantley, obviously, um, you know, pretty much always going to be averaging 30 points per game during this time. Ricky Green. Daryl Griffith. So, you know, pretty good nucleus of guys, but it was, they were a little bit of ways away. Another two or three years, you know, they were going to be making the playoffs and kind of perennially be, you know, a, a borderline playoff team or, you know, in the playoffs. Um, and of course, you know, transitioning into the uh, Stockton Malone era. But yeah, this was the year they started off with Tom Nasalki, uh 20 games in, they go to Franklin. Actually, they were eight and 12 under Nasalki, and then they were 17 and 45 under Layton. So not a great start <laughs> to the, uh, the Layton era there, but um uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, Dantley had a tendency in his career to perform really well statistically for teams that were fairly weak. Obviously, bounced around a lot in the um, early days, but did you know spent uh, you know seven years in Utah before you know going to the Pistons and then you know having the team success uh, there. Although ultimately getting traded before they were at, they were finally able to win the championship. But yeah, if you look between eighty two and eighty five, uh, Dantley average. 30.7, 30. 30.3, 30. 30.7, 30. and 30.6 points per game for uh, each of those four seasons. So that is pretty remarkable consistency. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then uh, next, 1985, next, we got Bernard King. 
24 and 58 over the full season. This one comes with a bit of an asterisk because he only played 55 games. This was unfortunately the year where he, you know, suffered the horrific injury mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, kept him out of the league for a couple of years. Um, and you know, basically ended his next career. Uh, but they were 19 and 36 in games he played in. So not like a whole lot better. Um, so, you know, they, they would have probably struggled to get to 30 wins. They might've gotten there, you know, had he been able to play the um, whole season, but yeah, um, it, it was one year removed from them being, you know, uh, in the Eastern conference, the semifinals, taking the, um, taking the Celtics to seven games. So, um, you know, I, I don't see a huge difference necessarily between, well, you know, I guess they didn't have, um, they didn't have Cartwright in, um, in 85 for some reason, I, he must've missed the whole year for, and you know, some of the older guys like, um, you know, looking at now truck Robinson was gone, you know? Um, so maybe it was more like, you know, kind of the, the steady vets were gone and then, you know, expect kind of expecting, you know, um, you know, Bernard King to carry a team when you're, you know, your second leading scorer is Pat Cummings. It's probably not, uh, you know, going to take you too yeah. far. <laughs> yeah. 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 Not, not ideal, but I, it does stink though. I mean, the, the, the thing that hurts about this year is, is, not necessarily that you know the Knicks and, and and following up the success they had the year prior, but more Bernard King following up the success. I mean, this is when we're in the peak of Bernard King. He's just he's becoming the king of New York. He's becoming this kind of transcendent star, and it's just kind of cut out from him, you know, right here. And he's just so good this year. And and I he's kind of one of those what ifs too that you wonder, man, how different is everything in 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 you know New York and 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 you know how how does that franchise go if Bernard King is is, is healthy like you know I guess the one the big question would be you know do they um you know draft pick wise and, and difference yeah it's just it, it it's kind of crazy to think of had he just stayed good or, or not gotten hurt you know what what the Knicks would have been uh, throughout the rest of the 80s and, and potentially into the 90s as well and how different things uh, may have been for them whether be- for, for the better or for the worse I, I i don't know exactly it just it just stinks when a guy in his prime that that's really just scoring that well and playing that well just gets you know he gets injured and it just cuts him out right right, right from under him Right. I mean, obviously, they lucked into, you know, getting Patrick Excuse Ewing me? in the lottery. <laughs> what? <laughs> they, oh, luck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lucked, yes. Lucked into, you know, getting Patrick Ewing for the, uh, you know, in the lottery and then transitioning that era fairly well. Yeah, it, it was it sort of, you know, they never they never really tried King and Ewing together. Maybe they felt like that wasn't going to work or maybe they felt like King, you know, was, um, you know, was was done, even though, you know, obviously he had you know, a pretty good uh set of years with the um with the Washington Bullets mm-hmm. and you know last into the mid nineties. But nevertheless, um yeah, definitely obviously you know ended that era and kind of on a, a sour note, both in terms of obviously the injury and also in terms of you know where, where the team stood at that point. But uh and then we get we have Bradley Bill, as we talked about earlier. The twenty twenty Wizards, you know, finished twenty four and forty seven. That would be about twenty eight, twenty nine wins over a full season, obviously cut short with the pandemic. And your twenty twenty one Wizards <laughs> as of this recording, eight and seventeen have a negative seven oh three SRS. Beatles averaging thirty three point one points per game. Uh, when we first started taking notes for this, the, the Wizards were actually worse than they are now. So this is undercutting our premise a little bit. The Wizards have won three of five. They've improved their SRS enough to no longer be one of the 50 worst teams over a full season. So um, maybe aren't going to be historically terrible like some of the teams we're going to be talking about here, but certainly um, you know uh, still on pace for a pretty bad season. And um, yeah, I think at one point the the Wizards were. Um, 
had lost 10 straight games in a row where Beal had averaged 30 plus points, which is, you know, which. Yeah. And I think that was right around history, when we decided right? to have this yeah. idea for this, uh, right. uh, this show. And, and what will be interesting to see though, throughout the rest of the year with the wizards is, and, and this is particularly, you, you know, of like new bad teams, like modern era, bad teams is typically a lot of those teams will look not to improve, but look to say, okay, we're bad. There's no point in getting a little bit better. Let's just get a lot worse and get you know make sure we get better draft picks or whatever. So uh, it, it it'll be interesting to see what the Wizards do. But if Beal is is you know invested in the team and actually wants to stick around, it is a possibility that they maybe add at the trade deadline or add a different piece or or, or continue to rally. But uh, it, it does stand a reason that there's a potential that they still do worse uh, throughout the rest of this year. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, that's I'm glad that we lit a fire under them by uh, you know. Oh yeah. By, yeah, uh, <laughs> we're threading this. Yeah. Yeah. So exactly. you're welcome, uh, yeah. Wizards fans. All. 12 of you yeah. <laughs> you know that's you're welcome yeah I, you are welcome in, indeed so yeah and, and i think people were you know they got russell westbrook uh you know um in the offseason i think people were expecting them to kind of be like somewhere between like seven and ten seed like you know not 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 great but not terrible and and so far you know things have not uh have not gone well for them but we'll see how it goes so I also wanted to note um, there were a couple players who I thought were going to make this list who didn't. The uh, the worst Allen Iverson team actually uh, in the season in which he averaged more than 30 points per game was the 2006 Sixers who won 38 games. Um, and also Kobe Bryant, the year you know after Shaq left, the 2005 Lakers only won 34 games, um, and he only averaged that year 27.6 points per game. It was the next season that he uh, you know. Um, scored 35 plus uh, points per game. And, and, and you know, at that point they averaged more than 42 or they had more than 42 wins uh, that season. So uh, that surprised me a little bit. I kind of was, I think conflating those years in my head and thinking that Kobe was just gunning and, you know, scoring crazy. And, and the team was like worse than they actually were. Yeah. I'm I mean, exactly the same. I was kind of surprised when I didn't see Kobe on the list and I'm glad that you added uh, him to this little note here because yeah I always thought that that 2005 Lakers team when they were just really really bad and the po- the first you know kind of big post Shaq year was just Kobe just being a, an unabashed gunner and just like going out there but yeah I mixed up the years where the year he was really an unabashed gun- gunner they they did pretty well and they won a lot of games so uh, yeah I, I did kind of lump these two years in together and, and and yeah I was a bit surprised to see him not on this list and, and say for Iverson too Iverson felt like kind of the poster boy for uh, a, a, you know certain times where he was having big gaudy numbers on, on not so good teams but uh, for the most part, you know, the Iverson Sixers were pretty damn good in, in most of his era. So that's uh, that's interesting to see, at least when when he was given the ball and just kind of given free reign to, to you know, be Allen Iverson. Yeah, exactly. Um, so talking uh, uh, another statistical threshold, um, and this is a little bit random and arbitrary, but whatever. 25 points per game, 5.5 rebounds per game, 5.5 assists per game. So just want to go through the players who have done this in, in all cases except for a couple successfully. Um, Giannis Antetokounmpo has done it twice and is on pace to do it for a third time this season. Rick Barry did it twice. Larry Bird did it four times. Kobe Bryant did it three times. Luka Doncic has done it once and is on pace to do it again this season. Clyde Drexler did it three times. Kevin Durant, uh, Julius Irving, James Harden did it five times. John Havlicek did it twice. Uh, LeBron James has done it 15 times <laughs> and is on pace to do it again this season. 15 times. What, what did you think when you saw that? That eye-popping. Yeah, because y- right. you think that that threshold is like, yeah, that's a really good all-around player. And then you see you know, some of the names. And it's like, yeah, that all makes sense. And that's all pretty good. But to see LeBron having it 15 times. When even right. Oscar Robertson, who feels like one of those like kind of unattainable, like, 
could do it all type of guys, guys that filled the stat box, all that sort of stuff. He did it nine times and, and like is regarded as like the best, you know, guy that, you know, all around, one of the best all around players of all time. And LeBron did it 15 times and I'm basically doing it again this year and probably for like, I don't know. Five more years? I don't know. Like, I just, I, Maybe. I, I don't yeah. know. I, like, we keep waiting. Like, my, I've, I've been an adult the entire LeBron run. And it's like I was a child when he started. And he's still going. And I'm old now. And I'm sore all the time. And he's still going. Yeah, it's, it's just yeah, nuts. It's amazing. I, yeah. He's well, one more year. He's going to tie Ric Flair. So that's, uh, that's obviously well, great for him. My, my yeah. WWE is terrible math. Not to... Well, I mean, okay. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't count when it's in the Philippines. <laughs> right. Different time for a different day, I guess. Yeah. Or All right. uh, in, in, in various uh, NWA promotions, I guess. I guess. Sure. Fine. I guess. I guess. Fine. Fine. All right. Um, you know, all these guys have been all-time legends or, or probably are going to be all-time legends. Um, sort of the oddball here. Jimmy Jones in the ABA <laughs> for the 1969 New Orleans Buccaneers. Jimmy, you know, solid player you know, yeah. on some really good Utah teams, but you know, kind of a little bit unexpected there. Uh, Michael Jordan did it five times. George McGinnis did it once. Oscar Robinson, as you mentioned, nine times. Dwayne Wade did it once. Jerry West did it five times. Russell Westbrook has done it four times. And Nikola Jokic is on pace to do so this season. So now we've we, we got all those players. And then there are two others uh, who are, were on sub-30 win teams. One, Richie Guerin from the 1962 Knicks. We keep bringing up 1962 here. We, we keep <laughs> It's a very high, yeah, year of stats yeah. and, and losing, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, Barney Cable not on the 1962 Knicks. Not, not a lot of talent in 1962 Knicks. Pretty much, you got Richie Garrett, you got Willie Knowles, um, you got Johnny Green, uh, and then yeah, it's a bunch of guys who you know ended up uh, getting smashed by Will Chamberlain and giving up 100 points to Will Chamberlain. You know, Daryl Imhoff, Cleveland Buckner, you know, guys like that. So you know, not not a uh, you have the Knicks again from the you know basically the mid 50s up until the late 60s, pretty much always bad. Um, yeah, Richie Guerin kind of being the, you know, one shining, uh, you know, bright light for the team, you know, during that era, you know, probably not a bad comparison to, um, Bradley Beal, honestly, in terms of just like, yeah, he was always like a guy who scored a lot and, you know, was, was pretty versatile, you know, um, and, um, you know, was an excellent player, um, and, um, you know, but never just had much for supporting cast. You know, for the most part, you know, John Wall obviously had some great t- seasons, but beyond that, you know, have always kind of been, you know, a middling team at best. Um, and yeah, I think Garen kind of fits into that as well. Certainly. Yeah, for sure. And, and, and then, yeah, the, the other one, Tracy McGrady, who did it twice, including for the 21 win 2004 <laughs> magic. And, and this is kind of like an all time, like, you know, not that the magic of the McGrady era were ever like terrific, but you know they were always like kind of a, a you know a, a solid team, kind of like a you know seventh eighth seed type team. Not a lot of talent around McGrady, especially with Grant Hill's injuries. But yeah, this team, um, you know, having twenty one wins, you know, they start off one and ten with uh, Doc Rivers, actually um, improve a decent amount to um, you know the, the, were they're decent by Christmas because that's the Christmas Day game, you know, the famous one between McGrady and uh, LeBron. Um, and yeah, then, then they fall off pretty much after that and they're, they're terrible. And yeah, this is a roster with just a whole lot of guys on it. Yeah. There's dudes. There are, are, are tons of dudes on there. Uh, a bunch of names that you've, you, you've heard of, of, of names that were guys like, you know, dudes that were, were right. played in the NBA, played like some decent minutes in the NBA, played some decent time. It, it's right. a very, very strange team. It's very like, yeah. the, the, like you said, the, the McGrady years, they weren't like 
a tremendous team. They weren't like a title contender, but they were like, you know, a 40 to 45 win team, a perennial, you know, playoff team like McGrady in the peak of his powers. You know, they add in a bunch of veterans around him. You got like you said, like you want to name dudes. You got Deshaun Stevenson. You got Juwan Howard. You got Tyron Lue, Gordon Gierichek, uh, a young Drew Gooden, uh, Andrew DeClerc. You want some Andrew DeClerc? We got Andrew DeClerc for you, too. (laughs) You want Stephen Hunter? We got Stephen Hunter for you. You want two games of Pat Garrity? Well, we can give you two games of Pat Garrity as well. But uh, it's so strange because, yeah, this is like Grady's coming off like an all-time great year the year prior. This year starts and they just stink. They're just terrible. They just lose a ton of games. And then, like you said, they they, they fire Doc uh, after uh, 11 games. They make a little bit of a run to at least be respectable. And then they're back on just crap and they win 21 games. It's a very, very weird thing. And it's kind of that's the end of the McGrady era in, in Orlando. It just ends right. in the yeah. weirdest way possible after like years of slowly feeling like, all right, we're building up, we're building up, we're building up. And then it just turns into crap it's a very very weird year yeah and they end up bouncing back okay you know they get Dwight Howard they um you know they're, they're pretty good again in a few years but yeah it was really yeah I just kind of capped off a a really promising but you know never really got to fruition era you know with with Hill's injuries and um yeah, immigrating and being amazing but just not really having much else of a supporting cast uh, unfortunately so all right <laughs> all right so Rich before we get to our next topic, you know, we talk a lot about balls on the show, you know, basketball podcast, mm-hmm. of course, mm-hmm. you know, we talk about air balls, jump balls, Lonzo ball, LaMelo ball, uh, LeVar ball. Yeah. Our favorite. Oh, ball, of, course. of course. Love talking yeah. LeVar ball. Yeah. Yeah. 1991 Clippers forward Cedric ball. Oh yeah. Not an episode goes by where we don't mention 1991 Clippers forward Cedric ball. Absolutely. Uh, but there's one set of balls that we've never discussed. Mm, okay. Until, tell. until now. Testicles, Rich. I'm not afraid Ooh, to say it. Wow. Yeah. Working blue. Jason's working blue right. over here. Yeah. No, that's uh, hey. you, you're, you're right. This is the first time we're going to talk about the uh, the testicles here because support for over and back is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in men's below the waist grooming. Uh, Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. They obsess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Yes, and Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their engineering team spent 18 months perfecting the greatest ball hair trimmer ever created, and they've just released the new and improved Lawnmower 3.0. Oh, this thing. Third generation trimmer 3.0. That's why it's a third generation. Features a cutting edge ceramic blade, uh, reduces grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin safe technology pioneered by manscaped and when we tell you this is premium we mean premium the battery will last up to 90 minutes so you can have a longer shave hopefully you don't need all 90 minutes in one sitting but if you do it will last the entire 90 minutes don't worry absolutely and the waterproof technology allows you to groom in the shower Mm -hmm. and one one of the coolest features it's an led light it illuminates grooming areas for a closer and more precise trimming. So if you need that 90 minutes, you know, you need to get it in there real deep. Absolutely. The LED light's going to do it. Also, they've upgraded to a 7,000 RPM motor with quiet stroke technology. And let's not forget about the charging stand, Rich. No. You can you can show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand, it's a convenient charging dock 
powered by USB. Yeah, that's pretty cool too. So if you if you got the dock that's powered by USB, you want to put it next to a laptop, you want to bring it to your work, you want to charge it in your car. There's many ways that you can charge uh, your lawnmower 3.0 from Manscaped. But uh, if you were listening to us speak right now, we want you to experience Manscaped for yourself. Trim that junk of yours, get 20% off, plus free shipping with the promo code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. Once again, that's 20% off, plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. One more time, 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the promo code FANSIDED20. And we trust, or we, 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 we promise you that your balls will thank you. So speaking of precision, the 1993 Dallas Mavericks. Yes, speaking of balls. Yes. <laughs> speaking of uh, uncapped of balls. balls, the 1993 Dallas Mavericks, 11-71, negative 14.68 SRS, the worst team by Basketball References SRS in history. It's not even close either. They're almost a full point ahead or behind, however you want to classify it, uh, of the 2012 Charlotte Bobcats. We'll mention in a little bit here uh, the Charlotte Bobcats. But the worst offensive rating and the worst defensive rating in the league. And they actually overperformed their expected win-loss percentage as well by winning one more game than they should have. So uh, congratulations to the 93 uh, Dallas Mavericks for overperforming their expected win-loss. Uh, they won back-to-back games only twice all year, and they went in to the all-star break at four and 45. Can you imagine <laughs> having to sit there? Imagine being a season ticket holder to a team that's four and 45. Uh, the best player on this really, really pathetic team uh, is Derek Harper, who we'll talk about Derek Harper in a bit. Uh, stats here, 2.7 win shares, 18.2 points per game, uh, 5.4 assists per game. Shot a very respectable at that time, uh, 39.3% uh, from three-point land as well. Uh, and Harper, you're probably thinking, ah, man, Derek Harper, he's a pretty good player, right? And uh, yeah, you're right. He was a key part of the team that were regulars uh, in the Western Conference Finals or the Western Conference Playoffs. They even made a Western Conference Finals berth uh, as well in the 80s. But uh, this is a very, very different Mavericks team. Uh, Sam Perkins no longer there. He's in L.A. Uh, Fat Lever continues to get hurt. He's kind of done. Brad Davis retires due to injuries. Rolando Blackman is traded the year prior. Uh, Roy Tarpley, who was kind of a big draft pick, hopefully – you know, hoping that the, the you know get the Mavericks back on track. He's banned from the NBA uh, to do, due to drug issues. So essentially, you're left with Derek Harper and a bunch of dudes, and uh, they were not good. But Derek Harper, though, his individual stats they held up pretty well uh, into his 30s. But uh, the the team does crater, and obviously, no no offense to Derek Harper, but it's, it's like yeah, when Derek Harper's your far and away your best player, and he's you know in his early 30s, early to mid 30s. It, it's probably not going to go well, and it, it did not, obviously. Uh, and luckily for Harper, though, he would be traded the next the following season, uh, and he would help that team come within a game uh, of winning the 1994 NBA Finals. So congratulations to him. Uh, other players worth mentioning on this pathetic team, uh, Sean Rooks, 13.3 points per game, and also Jim Jackson, 16.3 points per game. Now, a, a big issue and a big reason why this team is probably as bad as they are is you're thinking, man, Jim Jackson, he was a pretty good player, pretty high draft pick. And you're right. The problem, though, he only plays in 28 games because him and uh, the Mavericks have a contract impasse. Uh, things don't really work out right away. They draft him, and he goes, you guys are terrible. I don't really want to come to this team. Uh, but they end up kind of coming to an agreement finally. And uh, the team does close the season on a 7-14 and run with two straight wins, two straight wins at the end of the year to finish at 11 and 72. So Jim Jackson clearly helping them uh, a, a little bit there, but uh, yeah, it, it is, it is pretty fascinating uh, that they, you know, go on that seven to 14 run, two straight wins just to get to 11 and 71. I mean, this is an all time, all time bad team. And, and SRS kind of bears that out as well. Yes. And yeah, it wouldn't get much better the uh, next season with uh, Jim Jackson and um, Joel Mashburn uh, leading the way. And Derek Harper, unfortunately, had to uh, endure uh, quite a bit of that season before finally 
mercifully getting traded to the uh, Knicks and uh, getting to uh, do something else. Um, fun fact, Jim Jackson is one of two NBA players that I have met in person. There you um, go. Yeah, when I was about 13 or 14, uh, I was staying in a hotel in uh, Boston and uh, had just come out of the pool. So I was you know, kind of dripping wet a little bit in the uh, in the elevator. And then a bunch of tall uh, guys uh, come in and one of them is Jim Jackson. So uh, <laughs> there you go. Times. Yeah. And I, yeah, I was an Ohio State fan as a kid and big Jim Jackson fan. And so, yeah, he's seeing this like geeky uh, kid who's wet, like in awe of him. So I'm sure it's a memorable moment for him. <laughs> I'm sure he still still remembers that. Uh, you today? We'll, we'll maybe have to. We'll have to. We'll have to uh, reach out to Jim Jackson on Twitter and say, "Hey, do you remember a uh, yeah. a wet kid talking to you in a <laughs> right. elevator?" Uh, maybe he will. I mean that. I mean the the. Uh, you never know. You know. Yeah. So I, I'm. I need to bring up something important here. I have discovered the existence of a player named Morlin Wiley. Morlin Wiley. Point, okay. Yes, he's a he's a point guard. Uh, he played for both the '93 and the '94 Mavericks, but Oof. he had, I guess, it's three separate stints with the Mavericks. And um, in his, I was thinking it was four, but it's actually only three. So um, he was there as a rookie in '89. Then he goes, he plays uh, a couple half seasons with the um, Magic, and then in the '92 season, three games with the Spurs, and and and. Um, and then a few games with the Hawks, returns to the Mavericks in 93. So he's got one stint in 89, another one in 93, and then briefly goes to the Heat in 94 before returning to the Mavericks again in 94. So he gets to enjoy 33 games of the 93 season, 12 games of the 94 season, and then finally gets he gets some fun times with the um, Mavericks with Jason Kidd when they finally get respectable in the uh, 95 season 38 games. So three stints with the Mavericks between 89 and uh, 95. Got two separate stints with the Hawks as well. So that's there uh, you go. Uh, I, I, I briefly looked this uh, this man up, Moreland Wiley. Uh, it all worked out pretty well because after his career ended, he became a part of the Mavericks player development staff. So he, he uh, was rewarded for his loyalty uh, from 2000 okay. to 2004. So that's a good little run. You're seeing the emergence of, of, of you know, Michael Finley's turning into a star. Dirk Nowinski's yeah. turning into a star. Steve Nash. They're doing well. Nice. So he got success. You know, yeah, he, he felt Mavericks there success. And uh, yeah, Mavericks life were there. But uh, I can't imagine why after, you know, experiencing the, the early 90s Mavericks, why you would ever want a part of that team. But uh, good for yeah. him. So he also became an assistant with uh, Orlando for a few years as well. So congratulations. Well, good, good for him. How nice. So, so yeah. Moreland so, anyway. Wiley. So Moreland Wiley. Absolutely. Bo- so, from New Orleans. So he's probably having a great day today. So yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let's hope so. So next we have, and, and I'm sorry, this must be a misprint, but I I'm seeing the 2012 Charlotte Bobcats. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think what, I think what happened here is that basketball reference uh, clearly has mistaken what di- month or what day it is. Because as of this recording, my calendar says February 16th, but they clearly think this is some sort of April Fool's joke or someone forgot to change something because, uh, yeah, I'm not buying that there was the, the Hornet. Why were the Hornets called the Bobcats in 2012? That makes no sense. So Yeah, that's, 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 that seems <laughs> it's stupid. the most ridiculous so, thing possibly. Yeah, I don't yeah. know what's going on with, with basketball reference, but we'll, uh, we'll, okay. we'll add them. They, they follow us. They, they, you know, they're, they're fans of the show, so we'll have to let them know sure. that they've made this <laughs> egregious mistake. So. Absolutely. Yeah, huge fans of the show. Absolutely. So, yes, um, this team, the Charlotte team, we'll just call them that, uh, 7 and 59. This is a, a lockout season, so it's not a full season, thankfully. Uh, but they did uh, earn the worst uh, winning percentage in uh, NBA history, a .106. Yeah, and this is another one. It's a little bit like 
puzzling why they were so bad. I mean, they were 34 and 48 the year before. Um, you know, they had a good coach in Paul Silas, you know, obviously toward the end of his career. And, you know, they had, they had some solid players like Jared, Joe Henderson, perfectly fine. DJ Augustine, perfectly fine. Um, now, they, they lost you know, some key guys like Stephen Jackson, Sean Livingston, and Bena Udrick. They, they uh, traded them for uh, – or they, they, they sent them away, and they also traded the draft rights to Tobias Harris for Corey McGetty. Now, Corey McGetty, 32, okay, player, drew a lot of fouls, but didn't really do a whole lot else. Um, you know, they'd lost guys like, you know, Kwame Brown, Dante Cunningham, Joel Persbilla. Um, they did lose Boris Diaw for like half the year due to commitments in Europe. And, and when he did play, he was definitely, uh, he did eat a few baguettes when he was in, in France. Let's yeah. He was way. at that so, point, it was 75% wine and baguettes. So, uh, that, right, yeah. yeah, when he came back, he was a large fella, but, uh, right. Yes. Yeah, it's fair. Yeah. I mean, they, they had a rookie Kemba Walker. So yeah, I, this does not, I mean, this definitely doesn't seem like a good team, but it doesn't necessarily seem like a team that would, you know, set the, uh, the, you know, the worst winning percentage in um, NBA history. And yeah, again, the, the, the next team, they'd be fine. They were 21 and 61 You know, bad, obviously, but not mm-hmm. like that historically bad. So a little weird. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, they had no back-to-back wins during the season, which with seven wins, it's unlikely uh, their best player theoretically was someone named Derek Brown, who um, led the team in win shares with 2.3 only at 8.1 points per game came off the bench, which you know probably is not a great sign. And, um, I believe this was the end for uh, Derek Brown in his uh, in his NBA career. So, uh, be- began and ended his career with the with the Charlotte team with a little bit of a sojourn to the uh, Knicks. So, um, and yeah, uh, Joe Henderson, Corey McGetty both had 15 points per game. Joe Henderson led, leading the team in points per game, and then leading the team in rebounds per game. Bismack Biombo, I believe, a rookie that year, 5.8 rebounds per game, which seems very low for leading a, a, a team that has to be near a historical low, at least in modern NBA. So yeah, just, uh, they were not good. They did no. not do anything well. Yeah. Which you, you would kind of expect for a team that this bad to, uh, to occur. So yes. yeah, it's, it's strange. Cause like, you know, we talk about teams with guys on them. Like there's a lot of guys on this team. There's a lot of like, like legit NBA players, guys that were, I don't know, not necessarily in their prime, but all like a lot of really, really good role players. But that's maybe the issue is it was a team full of dudes that were just role players and guys that were just, nobody was really ready to be the top guy on this team. And, 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 and yeah, it's just, it's strange. Cause there's like, Really good players, but they just don't do anything. They don't score. They don't rebound. They don't win. It's 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 one of the more perplexing teams in NBA history for me. It's just there's there's no reason this team should have been as bad as they were, and they just were. They were historically historically bad, and and there's just they probably should not have been. So uh, I don't know. It's very strange. Well, uh, on the topic of historically bad, let's get to the 1971 Cleveland Cavaliers, and they have a reason to be bad. They have a reason to be 15 and 67. They have a reason to have a negative 12.04 SRS because uh, they were an expansion team at this time the team uh you know like most expansion teams struggled out of the gates uh they weren't really truly competitive until about i don't know 1975 uh then of course they break through and make the miracle run uh, to the eastern conference finals in 1976 uh and this team though they were three and 37 on christmas day that is not very good uh they rallied late though three and 37 on christmas day but they got all the way to 15 wins so bill fitch really had these guys uh, with their eyes on the prize here uh with the cavaliers uh, expansion team under the ownership of Nick Maletti uh, is the uh, owner, the initial owner of uh, the team. Uh, Jerry Tomko, who, you know, we're speaking of balls here. Uh, the father of future Major League Baseball pitcher Brett Tomko uh, was the man who submitted the winning entry to name the team the Cavaliers. Uh, there was a contest going on uh, sponsored by the Cleveland Plain Dealer, uh, and uh, the, the, that the Cavaliers won. 
uh, supporters. Uh, preferred this to uh, a few other names here. Uh, the Jays was one. The Cleveland Cavaliers could have been named The Jays, uh, which I think would have been a pretty cool name because in the 90s they would have definitely made it The Jays was like jumpers and they would have had a really stupid logo with like a, a ball going through a net and, and doing weird stuff because there wasn't, you know, only 27 different, uh, <laughs> you know, logos with uh, with, with nets and, and balls moving in them uh, in, uh, in the 90s. But uh, yeah, the, the, the Cleveland Jays as a potential. Uh, the Cleveland Foresters, which is a pretty terrible name, and I'm glad that one didn't win. Uh, then the uh, potential was the Cleveland Presidents as well. We've talked about a few times uh, as well that Cleveland has a, a a large amount of presidents that came from uh, well, the area and from the region. So that would have been yeah. a, or Ohio in in, in general. Ohio, not, yeah, not just yeah. Not, yeah, maybe just... not Cleveland I- itself, but uh, yeah, Ohio right. having a, a large percentage of uh, presidents. Which uh, I mean. There's no doubt in my mind that obviously this is 1971. The Cavaliers come in uh, uh, to the mix. No doubt in my mind that in 1976, if this is an expansion team, they're the Cleveland Presidents for sure. You know, that's when like Americana was just exploding bicentennial and the the flags everywhere. That it, no doubt they would have been the Cleveland Presidents uh, in 1976. But I like the Cavaliers. Cavaliers are, are are a good name and they've they've stood the test of time as, as well. So I, I prefer yeah. that. definitely over the Foresters. That would have been really really bad. So no, <laughs> yeah, I, as a J, I. You know, wouldn't necessarily have mind at the Jays, but uh, but yeah, I hear you. I think Cavaliers probably ends up being the uh, best uh, decision. Um, yeah, and one thing to note is you know not only were they an expansion team, they were one of three expansion teams. Mm-hmm. So like the Pickens are really slim. Yeah, um, <laughs> and and you're also you know this is also during the era in which a lot of talent's going to the ABA. So the Pickens are really slim. You're, you know you're getting the lowest on the bench of the lowest on the bench kind of guy. So it's you know it's no um, surprise that uh, some of these teams would have been um, really bad. I mean, hey, they were you know after Christmas they were. You know, twelve and uh, twelve and thirty, which yeah. is a lot better. <laughs> exactly. So, um, not great. Yeah, like like you said, B- Bill Fitch kind of leading this team. Um, you know, the the top players. You, you got Walt Wesley, four point one win shares, seventeen point seven points per game, eight point seven rebounds per game. I think this is the year that he scored fifty points in a game. Uh, they also got John Johnson with sixteen point six points per game. Bingo Smith, fifteen point two points per game, and. McCoy McLemore, yeah. 11.7 points per game, eight rebounds per game. That's a, that's a mouthful right there. McCoy. McCoy yeah. <laughs> McLemore. Yeah. Yeah. McCoy McLemore, yes. Uh, so, yeah, some guys, obviously, John Johnson would be really, um, you know, he, he was a really valuable um, role player, you know, played with the Blazers and the, um, of course, famously with the Sonics, um, you know, kind of a point forward pioneer, uh, you know, couple of these guys bingo smith would obviously be, be a, an important part of the uh Cavs teams later you know that ended up being good and um you know reaching the conference finals and all that uh and i want to also note that uh george mikan's son larry mikan played his one and only season in the nba with uh, this team so yeah i saw i saw that name on there and i was just kind of like oh that's weird mikan he's got the same name as uh, george mikan i had right. no idea that yeah. it was actually his son so that's cool uh but obviously it wasn't uh, great uh, lasting only the one year but uh this team it makes sense you know this is one of these ones that it makes sense why they were bad and 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 you could see the building blocks and like we said future names there that would be uh, you know, have good runs with the Cavaliers or be a part of, of the team. But uh, yeah, it's an expansion team in, like you said, the era of the ABA. And you're also one of three expansion teams. Like this team was going to be bad. And, and, and the idea, getting to 15 wins is a minor miracle for this team as well, especially uh, sure. when you look at some of the numbers. But yeah, they played pretty well. It's just, yeah, they were they were bad. So yeah, it's fine. It happens. You know, being bad happens. That's, uh, that's what we're all about. So um, 
Yes. Now uh, we are going to look at uh, some more of the of the thresholds we talked about. First, first we're talking about guys who won MVP for losing teams. Only happened twice in NBA history. The first time it happened was the actual first year in which the MVP was awarded. The 1956 St. Louis Hawks. Bob Pettit in his second season. The Hawks had um, in their prior season. Milwaukee had been 26 and 46. Pettit averaged 25 points per game, 16.2 rebounds per game, 27.3 PER, and 13.8 um, win shares. You know, a um, not really much here in terms of uh, you know supporting cast. You know, he would get. Um, you know, Cliff Hagen, uh, the next year that would improve the team uh, as well. They kind of had a, a big makeover before, you know, they started to um, go to the finals uh, there. You know, some some older guys like Jack Coleman and, and Bob Harrison and uh, Chuck Sher, you know, were names, but not really big uh, contributors um, there. You know, and Alex Hannum, who obviously become famous as a coach on the team, but not, you know, not not a uh, not a not a thick roster there. And um, you know, even though he's MVP, obviously. Pettit, Pettit would continue to round into form and you become an even greater player. Uh, and then next we have the 1976 Los Angeles Lakers. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar winning the MVP for a 40-42 and 42, uh, Lakers team. Of course, they uh, gave up a lot to get uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a couple of, you know, uh, really young draft draftees and young players and some and – some, um, other key guys, so the, the cover was definitely bare here. They had improved by 30 games from the prior season. I just want to go through this, um, you know, the the stat line here for Kareem this season because it's it's pretty impressive, even for Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So 27.7 points per game, 16.9 rebounds per game, five assists per game, 1.5 steals per game, and 4.1 <laughs> blocks per game. The the rebound steals and blocks all career highs for uh, Kareem. So that um, <laughs> that's a, that's some pretty good numbers. That is not bad. Yeah, that's that's affecting the game in literally every way possible. I mean, scoring, rebounding, assisting, right. s- blocking. I mean, that is just that's an all time all time year, and it's it, it's pretty amazing that given you know all that that they still you know forty and forty two just a cla- almost a classic wilt year more so than a Kareem year there uh, with the uh, with the Lakers. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know. It- you even look at Van Tanty, like he was the 28th all time value of replacement player season, you know, not 9.0, right, uh, right. 17 win shares, 27.2 PR, just, yeah, just to smack. But yeah, I mean, you basically have, you know, you've old Gail Goodrich and then you've got, you know, uh, old Cassie Russell and old Donnie Freeman and, um, you know, Kermit Washington there, but he's not, you know, really anything um, yet. You know, they, they just didn't have uh, a, a lot there. But, yeah, I mean, it would turn around you know, pretty much the next season. I mean, um, the late 70s for the Lakers with Kareem, actually, you know, they were – those were pretty good teams. I mean, they made the conference finals the next year. You know, they were like mid-40s to, to high 40-win teams, you know, even before Magic came along. I mean, they obviously, um, you know, were championship-quality team outside of, you know, perhaps in 77 had they not, you know, been swept by the Blazers. But, um, but they um, – you know, I, I think they were, um, you know, on the cusp before Magic got there, and then of course pushed them over over the top. So, and then um, we want to also look at players with sixteen or more win shares in a season. Only thirty four players in the NBA or the ABA have ever done that. Um, first, we want to talk about Wilt Chamberlain on the nineteen sixty three Warriors. They went thirty one and forty nine. So, Wilt for this team. 
averages 44.8 points per game, second most in NBA history to only his 50 season. 31.82 PER, also second all-time in NBA history, and it was the first all-time in NBA history until Giannis broke it last season, which I didn't really know until I had looked that up. Um, also had 20.9 win shares, which is 11th in NBA <laughs> history. So that is a pretty wow season for Wilt. Their first year in San Francisco um, after having moved from Philadelphia, you know, and, and kind of an odd um, just – yeah, another one of those seasons is kind of an explicable why they were this bad with you know a, a fairly good roster. Yeah, and you and you look. I mean, obviously, Will Chamberlain scoring you know forty four a game and 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 doing all that. I mean, this may have been definitely one of those situations where you look at and maybe it's like he was doing a little too much. But it's like Jesus, it's hard to believe though because like he's got forty four and twenty four. Like what the hell? Like it's just unbelievable that they're as bad as they were. But uh, yeah, like you said, there are a lot of really good. I mean, Tom Golo's on there, Al Adels is on there. Uh, you know, just a punch at Tom Machery uh, is is yeah. there. Guy Rogers is there. I mean, there's a lot of sure. really good talent. Uh, on this team, it just doesn't, yeah, it doesn't all kind of work for some reason. But, uh, yeah, it is, right. it is pretty amazing that Will could be that good and the Warriors could be, you know, that bad, which, you know, 31 wins for, for a team, you know, when, when you have literally one of the best seasons of all time, you know, on your team. That, that's, that's just, it's hard to believe. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, and then Neil Johnson, we've talked about Neil Johnson before, Old Hoss, probably the second best center of the Mike and era. Um, so the 1953 Warriors, he goes 12 and the team goes 12 and 57. He has 15.3 win shares. He has more win shares than the team had wins. Now, I, I know the win share is not like a perfect stat, but um, that one is a little bit uh, tricky to fathom. Yeah, that is that's a hard one. <laughs> to, to, right. you know, which, yeah, again, you said not perfect, but you feel right. like you should just luck into you know, having as many wins as, as, as your top players win share. So I, the other sure. guys must have been that horrendous on the team to, to, you know, negatively affect them as bad as they did. But that that's an all-timer right there. Yes. And then the 54 Warriors, uh, they improved to 29 and 43. He has 18.3 win years, which is 32nd all-time. The next year, the 55 Warriors, they're 33 and 39. Paul Arizon comes back after two years in the military. So the team's better 15.4 win shares. Again, another incredibly stout season in terms of those numbers. 956, they add Tom Gola and they win the NBA title. Johnson only has 13.9 win shares. So uh, finally gets a little bit more guys to uh, carry the uh, load there. But but found that run, you know, pretty remarkable for, you know, having so many win shares and, and having that, that, you know, pretty bad uh, team success. There. Yeah. A um, couple of the guys real quick I hit this threshold. Um, Alex Groza probably would have been the other candidate to be the second best center of the Mike and Air if he hadn't been caught up in a gam- gambling scandal that uh, cut short his career. But he had 18 win shares for the 1951 Indianapolis Olympians who were 31 and 37. Oscar Robertson for the 67 Royals that only won 39 games. Um, he had uh, 17.4 win shares, also averaged 30 0.5 points per game, 10.7 assists per game, and only 6.2 rebounds per game. By then, he was playing with Jerry Lucas, who was famous for you know stealing rebounds. And then Walt Bellamy, who we mentioned before with the 62 Packers, in addition to the other stout stats, also had 16.3 win shares for a 18-win team. Yeah. <laughs> Man. Yes. 
So, uh, so now we go to uh, I know one of your favorite teams. Oh yes, the nineteen ninety eight Denver Nuggets, eleven and seventy one, negative eleven point seven four SRS. This is the year before Mike D'Antoni takes over, but don't worry, it doesn't get any better when Mike D'Antoni takes over. Well, a little uh, better, but yeah, but not uh, much slightly better. better. Yes, but not uh, yeah. things are not great in uh, in in, in Denver land here. But uh, this year he was just the director of player personnel, which is is very strange uh, that he you know returned to the NBA and and, and immediately became like you know a GM or a, somewhere to the uh, not not to similar to you know Greg Popovich did kind of the same path uh, as well, but uh, this was years. Uh, Bill Hanslick is our uh, head coach of the nineteen ninety eight Denver Nuggets. Years as an NBA assistant, finally gets his opportunity. It's this team. He lasts one year. He never coaches in the NBA ever again. I don't know what he did after this, but uh, he was like, you know what? I'm gonna fish. Fishing sounds much better than coaching in the NBA ever again. Uh, the Nuggets second to last in offensive rating this year. So hey, you know. Thing, something to hang their head on. Uh, dead last in defensive rating, though. They're a terrible defensive uh, team. Yeah. So, and uh, not, not very good offensively either. But hey, not no. dead last. Uh, and th- what's strange about this is, is this is the first period of real struggles for the Nuggets franchise, who they made the playoffs every year that they existed in ABA history. And all but two years in uh, 1980 and 1981 as they entered the Doug Moe era. Uh, as well, the Doug Moe era was obviously you know fun and successful for the for the franchise, uh, and the drop off is pretty immediate for this team. They win forty three games in Doug Moe's final year as coach. Then they fall to just twenty wins in nineteen ninety one under uh, Paul Westhead, uh, their new coach. A brief blip of uh, relevance there in the nineteen ninety four and nineteen ninety five, including the the team's famous upset of the Sonics uh, in, in nineteen ninety four. Then things get real bad and stay bad. And then dear, and the 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 Nadir is probably this season in nineteen ninety eight uh, as well. Uh, over the last few years, most of the good players on the team are sent away. Antonio McDice is sent away and then comes back and then sent away again. Dale Ellis, uh, Dekema Matumbo, many, many other guys as well. And it probably does not help as well that if you you know look in, and, and you're aware of kind of the business of basketball at this time is that the Nuggets are actively looking to be sold. Uh, they're looking for a buyer and stripping it down to its core um, and, and making it basically unwatchable. Uh, it makes it easier to sell and it also makes it easier to potentially relocate as well because that was a big potential at this time. Uh, they were going to relocate the Nuggets to, to another town. Uh, that obviously does not happen. They stay in Denver. They're, they're obviously still in Denver right now. Uh, and they'd get better. Uh, take a few more years, probably the Carmelo years yeah. it would take. But, uh, yeah. you know, they, they're there now and they've been consistently pretty solid uh, since the Carmelo uh, age as well. But uh, let's get back to this terrible, terrible team first. Uh, their best player is, uh, I don't know, Anthony Goldwire, <laughs> who leads the team in winters sure. at three. Sure. Uh, that's not good. Johnny Newman. Yeah. He's really old at this time. He uh, He's second with 2.7. It's probably not good. Uh, Eric Williams, he leads the team with 19.8 points per game. Uh, he only plays four games, though, so we really didn't, really can't count him. Uh, I guess Johnny Newman. Johnny Newman, 34 years old, scores 14.7 points per game to uh, lead the team. That's not good. Uh, Lafonso Ellis, he scores uh, 14.3 points per game, 7.2 rebounds per game. That's not good either. It's a really bad roster. This is like an all-time just horrendous roster uh, here under uh, with the Denver Nuggets, I mean, it is. There's we talk about guys. There's a there's definitely a lack of guys on this team. There are there are guys, but most of them are either bad or, or just really really young as well. They were a very young team. Like Bobby Jackson is on the team, and obviously he'd carve out a pretty good year uh, a career. Uh, Danny Fortson's on the team. He'd carve out a pretty decent career. Tony Batie uh, also pretty good career. But then there's like Priest Lauderdale and something named Kwame Garris and Joe sure. Wolf and, and a bunch of other dudes. Uh, Anthony Goldwire, who we mentioned as well. Yeah. 
Nuggets found themselves some gold wire, I guess. Yeah, uh, Brian yeah. Stith, um, the Brian Stith era. That who could forget? Right, who could forget the Brian Stith era? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm fascinated by 34 year old Johnny Newman like leading the uh, <laughs> right. The like, boy. Yeah, Johnny Newman's like, like yeah. a fine player, but like, yeah, he he's right. like a career like decent solid bench guy. And yeah, yeah. like the end of his career, they're like, I don't know, man, just shoot all the ball, shoot the ball all the time. Yeah. Who cares? Just like, leave the team. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, I had um, you're looking at the Nuggets franchise history. I forgot that um, that Dennis L. Two stints as coach for the uh, team in the early '90s and in the uh, early uh, 2000s, and yeah, most of that didn't uh, go super well. No, but, uh, no, it did not. Yeah, so better player yeah. than coach, it, it appears. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most definitely, yes. I, I think not a hot take to say. Yeah, that is his playing no, career I, slightly better than his uh, his his coaching career. So yeah, slightly better. So yeah, now we get to you know I, I think commonly thought of as the worst team in um, NBA history still is a strong you know candidacy for that the 1973 Philadelphia 76ers 9 and 73 negative 11.5 SRS and you know they had such a steep drop off from just a couple you know three four years earlier you know just two years ago they'd Made the East Conference semis at 47 wins, you know, just a few years before then they're, you know, winning 60 plus wins, have an NBA championship. Only player from that era left basically is, is Hal Greer. Um, you know, they, you know, they lost uh, Jack Ramsey who had been the uh, you know, general manager for the team in the off season, went to Buffalo. Honestly, Jack Ramsey didn't always do the best job as a executive. He was a much better coach. So maybe that wasn't necessarily negative, but yes, the six owners, Sixers ownership decides, well, you know what? I am going to either offer the head coaching job to Marquette head coach, Al McGuire, or maybe I will try to get um, Adolph Rupp out of retirement from the University of Kentucky. He was <laughs> seven years old at yes, the time. He was very know? old. Yeah. Right. If you're wondering, yes. if you're doing the, t- the, 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 you know, the, the math in your head and you're thinking, man, you know, Rupp had to be pretty old. Yeah, he was very old. He was 70, yes. which is a yes. bold, a bold decision to uh, take uh, Adolf Rupp uh, from uh, who only knew college basketball for, for years and years and years and years and, 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 and slap him into the, uh, the NBA at the age of 70 would have been. But to, hey, John Beeline got hired by the Cavaliers. So it's anything is possible, I guess. So. Right. Right. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Let's yeah. not. Yeah. So, oh, God. <laughs> so, so, yeah. I, slight correction. I do want to mention. Yeah. So, Ramsey had been an executive, but he did coach the um, the Sixers since the 69 season. And then eventually, um, Don DeJardin took over as the uh, coach. And yeah, Don DeJardin's uh, record, uh, not super great. They, they would uh, replace him uh, fairly soon. So, um, yes. And as mentioned, he left to coach the Buffalo Braves. Billy Cunningham, uh, you know, he had um, left to join the ABA. And then, yeah, this was a you know, shamble of a team. Um, they, a lot of guys and, and some guys who had once been good players, you know, Bill Bridges was on the team, but he was 33. Uh, Kevin Lockery is on the team, but he was 32. As mentioned, Hal Greer is 36. Uh, he's breaking records for, you know, age in the uh NBA, you know, just uh, and you know, they have uh, 19 guys on the roster, so they're they're flipping through guys. But um, yeah, they would uh, start the year 0 and 15. Later, they would lose 20 consecutive games. Their coach was Roy Rubin, who had been the LIU head coach for many years, and just had the team in complete disarray. Dave Wool called Rubin a con man. The, the players just thought like he, you know, you know, gave them cliches, didn't have anything insightful to say in timeouts, was kind of a screamer, you know. Um, 
there's a there was a book written about this team, perfectly awful. Um, it's it, I, I can't 100 percent recommend the book because I think it definitely needed some uh, better editing, but it does have some good stories about this team and just how you know awful things you know kind of went. Um, yeah, it, by the time the team was four and forty-seven, you know, Ruben was let go, and then Kevin Lockery, you know, ends up becoming player coach there. And they went five and twenty-six the rest of the way. So, you know, at least an improvement. Not uh still not great. But yeah, in February they kind of randomly won five of seven games, and three of those five wins actually came against teams that would win fifty or more games that year. Uh, the Bullets, the um, Bucks, and the Knicks. Uh, during that uh, streak, they doubled their winning percentage. Looked like they had righted the ship, but then they lost their last 13 games. So, you know, <laughs> kind of fell off there. Uh, best player, uh, we, we talked about him in the last episode, actually. Fred Carter, 20 points per game, uh, six rebounds per game. You know, um, definitely the, kind of the one player who had a, a, a pretty solid season. John Block actually led the team in win share, 17.9 rebounds, or excuse, excuse me, 17.9 points per game, 9.2 um rebounds per game and then uh tom van arsdale at 17.7 points per game hal greer unfortunately 5.6 points per game shot under 40 percent from the field this was his last uh, season there's a anecdote from that perfectly awful book where you know it's last game of the season the fans are looking for how great how greer to you know come off the bench and play one more game. He only played 38 games that season. I think he'd been active or inactive for the last 20 games. And Greer was just kind of like, man, I'm not in shape for this. You know, I, I don't want to go out there. And then he doesn't go out there. It's just kind of like one of those, like, you know, just a perfect anecdote for a incredibly horrible uh, season and, and a bad way, unfortunately, for Greer to uh, end his career. Definitely. Uh, let's move on now to the 1950 Denver Nuggets. Yes. We're going back to the Nuggets, but not uh, not, the, not the same Nuggets here. We'll t- we'll talk about it here in a bit. Uh, Eleven and fifty one, negative eleven point three one SRS. Uh, again, this doesn't seem entirely fair uh, because this is the one and only year of the original Denver Nuggets. This team has no relationship whatsoever uh, to today's Denver Nuggets. They were essentially not even a professional team. They were a longtime AAU team. Uh, they had many different names: the Denver Safeway Pigs. Then they were the Denver Nuggets. Then they decided, ah, now we're going to change it again. Denver American Legion. Then they became the Denver Ambrose Jellymakers, which I want the current Denver Nuggets to have retro night where they are <laughs> re rechristened themselves the Denver Ambrose Jellymakers because that sounds Absolutely. awesome. That sounds yeah. fit. Just to see Nikola Jokic in a jersey that says Ambrose Jellymakers. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. That like, sounds great. Yeah, you nice. know, given his shape and and, and sure. you know body type and oh man, just. Jokic the jelly maker. I mean, that's just that it, it, the memes would, would be never ending. But uh, I'll try it. to. Yeah. I'll try to. I'll try to uh, see if I can run that up the ladder to uh, the Denver Nuggets management and see okay. what we can do yeah. there. Uh, they decided that ah, we'll go with the Nuggets again. So they decided to become the Nuggets one more time. Uh, this team turned pro in 1948. Immediately joined the NBL. Uh, they were terrible in the NBL as well. So it's not like they just joined the NBA and oh my god, we're overwhelmed. No, they were really bad in the NBL uh, as well. They've joined the new NBA and they're still terrible there. And uh, they join uh, numerous other teams including the Anderson Packers, the Chicago Stags, the Sheboygan Redskins, the St. Louis Bombers, the Washington Capitals, and the Waterloo Hawks as teams that go, you know what, maybe the NBA is maybe a little too big for us. Uh, Again, another Chicago team that didn't quite make it, but then also, yeah, teams in Sheboygan and Anderson and Waterloo and and stuff that's like, yeah, you guys probably don't, uh, (laughs) you guys probably should not be uh, in the NBA. Uh, The NBA is is a little bit maybe too big for you guys, and Denver Nuggets were another one of those teams, but uh, they would then 
uh, become the Denver Refiners, which is a solid uh, name. I, I do like that one as well. Uh, and the newly formed NPBL, uh, which is basically a, a new professional league with a lot of these former NBA teams, and it lasted only a year, so you could tell it didn't go very well. Uh, and the team barely made it for the entire year uh, as well. They at one point became the Evansville Agagans. They decided the Denver Refiners, no, we're going to move to Evansville, Indiana, and become the Agagans for the last six games of that season. Uh, and then they just went away forever. But uh, their best player, uh, someone we mentioned in our last episode, Kenny Sailors, uh, jump shot pioneer Kenny Sailors. Uh, he averages 17.3 points per game and shoots a very respectable, at that point, 35% uh, from the field. Other notable Denver Nuggets, Dillard Crocker, <laughs> 13.6 points per game. Not enough players named Dillard uh, in today's NBA, if you ask me. No. Uh, he yeah. would end up playing for uh, both Indianapolis and Milwaukee uh, in the NBA. Bob Brown, uh, last season of Pro Bowl, he scores 11.7 points per game and then Dwayne clue or clue or whatever he uh, would spend one more year with the Fort Wayne Pistons uh, after the Nuggets folded but that is your Denver Nuggets uh your not that Denver Nuggets but your 1950 Denver Nuggets your your former Denver Ambrose jelly makers uh, absolutely so a couple of important things uh, and excellent summary by the way uh one the uh, I, I believe that the song Davy Crockett actually was originally about Dillard Crockett. <laughs> right, and they, right, they changed right, it right, to make right. it more marketable too. And, and and second, I want to talk a little bit more about the Evansville Agogans because yes. you know this obviously um, you know fascinates me. So I had not heard about the Evansville Agogans you know until you um, discovered this. But yeah, so apparently, uh, and I'm getting this from Wikipedia. Um, the um, they were. Uh, owned by Bill Butterfield, an office supply manager in Evansville. He bought the franchise, moved <laughs> to, to Indiana. This is January 1951. You know, America is ready. They're going to go agog over this new um, NPBL team. And, uh, and yeah, that's where the name comes from. The, everyone's, you know, excited and about agog about this team. And then he gives them the Agogans name, which yeah, I, I think it's a great name. I think, you know, there should be, the next NBA expansion team that's not the Sonics should be the Agogans. Yes, yeah, and, and honestly, that. the Sonics yeah. should maybe consider the Agogans as well. Like I, it's, it's Seattle wants about, yeah. the Sonics back. I get it. You know, bring back our Sonics and, and stuff, but right. at least consider Agogans before you make the final decision for the Sonics. I'm not saying that they have to be the Agogans, but at least you know, maybe have a fan vote on it. At least you know, ask the people uh, if they're right. a Gog for the Agogans or the Sonics. So sure. So the Agogans apparently were coached by Gene Latham. They featured former local high school athletes, including <laughs> Butterfield's son, Bill, which is, you know, always, uh, always good. Bill Jr. I guess um, they did have a, a few foreign players with pro experience, including Blackie Towery, you know, uh, unfortunately Evansville lost all six of its uh, games, as I believe you mentioned, but uh, they did manage a win over the Harlem Glob- Globetrotters. So we'll uh, see how legitimate that one was, but um and under the notable alumni section here, we have uh, no links to them, but we have named Norm McCool and Ali Schof. So I don't know anything about either gentleman, and I, I, I don't think it even behooves me to Google them because I think whatever I would have in my imagination has to be better than whatever they actually are. Yeah, so. Norm McCool had to just be a, an absolute badass, though, right? Like, you, that's, yeah, McCool. That's, how, you got to be. I mean, you got to be. Just, yeah, yeah, you got to rule if your name's <laughs> Norm McCool. So yeah. uh, that is the Evansville Agogans. Yeah, at some point, uh, you and I, 
Uh, I'm looking at the map here. It looks like it's right in between you and I, about both, I think, about five-hour drives for both of us. Okay. Uh, let's meet in Evansville one time, get some boots on the ground, and, and, and ask the, the fine folks of Evansville, Indiana, if they, uh, what their memories of the Agogans were, and if they're still Agog for the Agogans, which I imagine they are, <laughs> without, you know, without, you know, without getting there yet. I am sure that uh, the, the, the indelible mark that the Agogans have left on Evansville, Indiana uh, can still yeah. be felt today. I'm, I'm positive gonna... of it. Yeah, we're going to meet at the downtown Evansville YMCA, which is where the Agogans played their games. And uh, yeah, and then we'll start from there. We'll figure it out. <laughs> right. we'll, oh. we'll, ask, we'll ask the oldest men we could find there. And then, uh, I don't know, walk around the streets yeah. after that. And oh, figure out what hope, do. hope they don't say anything racist and then, you know, go. go <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, right. All right. Um, a few more uh, fun with stats. So looking at PR and value over replacement. So um Looking at 29 plus PR, we already talked about him. Uh, Will Chamberlain, 1963 Warriors, 31 and 49. We already talked about, you know, kind of what uh, uh, what that never meant. Another player uh, very recently accomplished this uh, feat. Um, Anthony Davis with a 30.3 PR for the 2019 Pelicans, who were 33 and 49 overall. So. Only played 56 games in the season. Some of it was because of injury, but a lot of it was because he. Uh, this is a season in which he requested and or demanded a trade to the Lakers. And then, you know, he played for a little while and then they, everyone involved decided like, hey, maybe better idea if you just don't play. So um, they were 25 and 31 in games in which he did play. So obviously much, much better under those uh, circumstances. But yes, sort of a interesting statistical uh, anomaly for uh, Anthony Davis. Those are the only two teams that really, you know, were led by a team led by a you know, strong PER that, you know, had a under 500 record. Mm-hmm. So uh, looking at value over replacement player. Yeah, you uh, cannot other than Kareem, who we mentioned um, above, I, you can't really see anybody who's like in the top 50 in, in VORP who had a losing record. The closest players uh, that we talked to, that we would mention here, uh, Dwayne Wade, who had the 17th all time um, VORP for the 2009 Heat, who were 43 and 39. Uh, Tracy McGrady for the 2003 Magic 22nd all time uh, for they were 42 and 40. Of course, the year before the, uh, you know, the 2004 season where they just went to the tank. Uh, Kevin Garnett and LeBron James, both in 2005, both with 9.09 VORP. I think Garnett's was slightly better based on, on percentage, 25th all time. And both those teams, they had 44 and 42 wins respectively, and neither team um, made the playoffs. That was, of course, LeBron's uh, second season. So, uh, so yes, it is almost impossible to have a really good VORP and play <laughs> for a, a bad team, which I guess means the stats uh, doing what it says it does. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely, definitely. Uh, a few more bad teams here and, and some good players here. 1989 Miami Heat, very similar to our Cavaliers we talked about here. Uh, inaugural season for the Miami Heat. They go 15 and 67, negative 11.31 uh, SRS. The main voyage for the NBA in Florida as well. Obviously, the ABA has the Floridians, uh, but the NBA had stayed away through its entire history. But finally, they uh, they jump in here. This is a group led by former Sixers Billy Cunningham. Uh, agent uh, Louis Chaffel, I believe, uh, is the uh, the name there uh, with the, the you know the guys that got together and kind of got this team together. Uh, they received funding from Carnival Cruise Line founder Ted Arison, uh, and they made a bid to enter the NBA. And the NBA, uh, there's some some 
tension here because Miami and Orlando both wanted franchises. A few other teams wanted franchises. So the NBA said, you know what? Let's all come on board. So four different teams are going to come on board here. 1989 is going to have the Miami Heat and the Charlotte Hornets enter the league. And then the following year, the Minnesota Timberwolves and Orlando Magic are going to come uh, into the league. And, and like most expansion franchises, it's kind of a ragtag collection of, of veterans and castoffs and uh, Miami. And they struggle. They're, they're not too great. Uh, Rory Sparrow makes the first basket in Heat history. Anytime we can mention Rory Sparrow, we like to do so. Uh, unfortunately, they lost an NBA record 17 games to start their inaugural season, so not great. Uh, finally, though, they get their first win December 14th. They beat the Los Angeles Clippers, 89-88. to And a uh, fun fact about the Clippers, who we are going to talk about here in a bit, because don't worry, no list of bad teams is uh, complete without not one, but two Clippers teams. Uh, the Clippers this year, though, would provide both the Hornets and the Heat uh, with their first NBA victory. So congratulations to the uh, Los Angeles Clippers for helping both expansion franchises uh, get victories. Uh, the team, uh, this Miami Heat team, was dead last in offensive rating, but actually were not terrible in defensive rating. They finished 18th out of 25. Still bad, uh, but not all-time, all-time bad. Uh, best player on the team or best players, there's a few. I don't, I don't know if there's one in particular. Uh, Kevin Edwards, 13.8 points per game for him. Uh, Rory Sparrow, the aforementioned Rory Sparrow, 12.5 points per game, 5.4 assists per games for Rory Sparrow. Uh, Grant Long, who uh, if you uh, listen to our Heat Celtics episode that we did a few months ago, uh, he was uh, led the team in win shares at 4.6, also at 11.9 points per game and 6.7 uh, rebounds per game. And then the uh, future DJ, uh, then-rookie Ronnie Cycli, uh, 10.9 points per game, 7 rebounds per game uh, for him as well. And the Heat would get pretty good after – it wouldn't take very long for the Heat uh, to be competitive, but uh, obviously not uh, not this year and, and not for the next few years. So so going back, of course, to the uh, Clippers who were you know bad in uh, that 1989 season, but they were uh, even worse uh, at times, including <laughs> the 1987 season. And, you know, of course, as you know, Rich, the Clippers – generally have been one of the worst uh you know franchises in NBA history for most of their history the last decade you know it's been uh quite a bit better so not not quite as terrible uh there the the misery has come more in the underachieving in the playoffs which is a, a better kind of misery than hey I'm winning 12 games a season type of misery um but yes anyway so you know they by 1987 they had not made the playoffs in um 11 seasons back when they were still in buffalo uh, but you know this is the worst um, you know win percentage and lowest win total in um, their franchise history. Worst SRS. They were twelve and seventy in nineteen eighty seven with a negative eleven SRS. Um, looking at their best players, you probably you, know, you could look at uh, future NBA head coach Mike Woodson seventeen point one points per game. Um, they also had Marcus Johnson, but he only played 10 games because of, um, you know, what, and it would end up pretty much being a career ending injury. Um, he had 16 point, uh, six, um, points per game. Uh, Michael Cage, uh, 15.7 points per game. He also had 11.5 rebounds per game. And in fact, he had 7.2 win shares, which in the more modern era, you know, we talked about, you know, a guy like, you know, Johnston, um, in the fifties, but you know, the stats there are kind of incomplete, you know, the, the, it's more of an estimate there. Um, so, you know, of any of these teams that are in more recent era, 7.2 win shares for a 12 win team is like absolutely incredible. Like that's a really, um, 
you know, standout stat there. Um, and yeah, he, he was definitely a little bit better than we remember in this era. And of course, you know, the Clippers were like, oh yeah, we've got this one really good player in this, you know, terrible team. Let's just go ahead and trade him for Gary Grant and a first round. <laughs> of course, yeah, know? the Clippers, uh, the idea of having a good player, in, especially in this era of, of, of Clippers history, is just too much for them to handle. So they yeah. immediately, immediately well, got rid of him as, as quickly as they possibly could. Yeah, so. I mean, he's going to want to get paid money. I mean, why would we want to keep him if he's going to get yeah, paid no, money? Yeah, no, get out of here, that would dude. Be, that'd be ridiculous. Yeah, dude, yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, another of the one of the other most terrible teams, the 2000 team, 15 and 67, negative 10.73 SRS. Uh, Chris Ford is the coach. And then you get Jim Todd in there. Uh, Jim Todd was four and 33 overall. So uh, not, not so good there. Elgin <laughs> Baylor's still the general manager there. Um, yeah. And they, um, you know, this was their 30th season overall uh, as a franchise, 16th in L.A. They had missed the playoffs in all but four of the past 25 years had not gotten out of the first round <laughs> at 76. Um, you know, they uh, a couple big things that happened before the season. One, they had moved to this, the Staples Center, which you know probably a better arena situation for them. But unfortunately, they're. Um, you know, they, they have the co-tenant with the Lakers, who, of course, are, you know, have a championship <laughs> roster and are right. you know, dominating the city. It even it lays their inadequacies even more bare. Um, and then, yeah, they'd gotten Derek Anderson in the offseason. who was in his second season, um, you know, kind of maybe maybe at the time kind of you thought maybe he could be a star uh, there. But, yeah, going to the Clippers is not really a good situation for most to become a star. He does lead the uh, team in 3.3 win shares. Rookie Lamar Odom. Uh, is second with 3.2. Odom also has 16.6 points per game, 7.8 rebounds per game, 4.2 assists. Uh, the team was second to last in the league in offensive rating, uh, dead last in defensive rating. They actually outplayed their expected win loss percentage by two games. So, you know, they're trying hard up there. You know, they're, uh, you know, they, they definitely want to do their best for Jim Todd. Um, <laughs> uh, um, I, I, should, I should note as well for people that don't remember with uh, Derek. Uh... Derek Anderson, whether whether Derek Anderson was was a, a franchise changing player or whatever, he obviously was right. not. Uh, he, they just let him go in free agency after this year as well. Oh, of so course, it's just, yeah, it's just right. perfect. It's yeah. just yeah. it's yeah, so Clippers go. to say, ah, hey, we got a young yeah. star. Ah, yeah, just let him go. Whatever. He's like, right. yeah, let go right. right. Yeah, <laughs> just perfect Clippers. Just oh my yeah. god, what a team. It's good, good stuff. Yes. Yeah, so um, a um, yeah. So the. Key player, you know, the, the number one overall draft pick that they'd gotten, you know, a year or two um, before, Michael Olakandi. And yeah, it doesn't go well. Um, they hire assistant coach Kareem Abdul Jabbar's as one and only season as a assistant, you know, just, uh, you know, at le- least, you know, one key aspect of that is to try to turn Olakandi into, you know, a real genuine NBA player. And um, yeah, this was the second season. Uh, 9.8 points per game, 8.2 rebounds per game, 43%, uh, you know, field goal percentage. And, you know, not really his fault that he's awful. He just, he came from, you know, a situation in which he was, you know, there's no way that he should have been a number one overall pick. It was just completely misjudgment on everybody's part. You know, he was, he was dominant. Yeah, he was dominant, but it was at, you know, um, University of the Pacific. He just was not in a situation where he, um, you know, had, had enough experience. I mean, he was, doing what he did because he was, you know, big and athletic and, you know, he, he certainly tried hard and he had a nine year career, but yeah, he was just not in a position where um, he was going to be, you know, a- anywhere near, you know, a franchise changing player. No. Yeah. He's learning how to play basketball while in the NBA 
with the expectations right. of being a number one overall pick, which is usually not right. very good. And on like an all time terrible franchise with an all time terrible leadership structure in the Clippers, Kareem or not, uh, it's just an absolute disaster for for all the. Candy, unfortunately, it's, it's amazing that he did carve out a pretty decent, like decent-ish career, uh, and ended up being okay. But yeah, obviously, never should have been a number one overall pick. But uh, that's that's not his fault. That's the Clippers' fault. So uh, yeah. we'll go to our final team now. Here, the 2014 Philadelphia 76ers, the process years here, 19 and, thir- and 63, negative uh, 10.66 SRS, the uh, 75th season in franchise history, one of their most pathetic. Uh, as well, uh, during the season, the 76ers are going to tie the Cavaliers record uh, for most consecutive losses with 26. Uh, the team was not terrible, terrible 45 games into the season, 14 and 31, uh, but fell off a cliff in the last 37, going 5 and 32 the rest of the way, which we'll talk about a bit why that happened. Uh, first true year of the process Sixers, the prior year, the dismantling slowly begins, but they're still an okay team at 34 and 48. Uh, after that year, Doug Collins is let go, and that's when the team just gets completely stripped down to, to the bare bones, where, you know, in the offseason, Drew Holiday is traded. Also, Justin Holiday is waived, because <laughs> I guess when you don't have Drew, you don't need Justin anymore. Uh, yeah. Both of them ended up being pretty decent and players they would have been you know good on a young team but hey that's the process Sixers uh surprisingly though this is this is not even the worst or the second worst win total uh during the process Sixers era despite the terrible SRS which I found pretty interesting uh because they would win only 18 games uh in 2015 and then completely bottom out in uh in 2016 going 10 and 72 I forgot how bad uh that year was but interestingly enough this year though stands out as the worst SRS year which is uh, uh a pretty fascinating uh, best player on this team, uh, Michael Carter Williams. It seems like he'd be the best because he won the Rookie of the Year this year. As the uh, he was sixth on the team in win shares, but uh, had sixteen point seven points per game, six point two rebounds per game, uh, six point three assists per game. A few other good players. Uh, top win share was uh, Thaddeus Young uh, at three point five. Uh, win shares. He also averages 17.9 points per game. Evan Turner was on this team. He has a 17.4 uh, points per game, also six rebounds per game, 3.7 assists per game. And there's a lot of talent uh, on this team. You know, Thad Young, Evan Turner, Michael Carter Williams, Spencer Hawes, a few guys here. Uh, things get real dark in the bottom half of the roster. They go through 23 different guys, uh, a lot of G League dudes, a lot of, you know, guys coming up and down. And, and of course, not all these guys are going to end the year with the Sixers as well, which I kind of mentioned with the, you know, the Washington Wizards model here. Uh, if they f- tend, if they want to follow, at least somewhat of what the Sixers did, uh, but the Sixers basically decided any of these players that were decent where we were going to trade. So Spencer Hawes, he's traded in February for Earl Clark uh, and a second round pick, uh, which turned into Jeremy Grant, who they decided they didn't need either, <laughs> so they got rid of Jeremy Grant as well. Uh, then Evan Turner is traded to her Indiana for the uh, then corpse of uh, Danny Green, the 2014 corpse uh, of Danny Green. So yeah, that's uh, that's kind of why the team falls off a cliff is that two, you know, two or three of their best players are just immediately sent away for for nothing, <laughs> just nothing. <laughs> And that was Danny Granger, not Danny Green, by the way. Oh, I said Danny Green. I'm sorry. Danny Granger. All right. Yeah. Danny right. Green is only a corpse now, but it wasn't in 2014. Well, yeah, yeah. Is it okay? He's, he's still fine. But yeah, he's actually, I get what you're saying. At that uh, time, so yeah. Danny Granger, who yeah was 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 no good, right. and and that this is a team course, obviously right. did not want to really get good players or uh, or talented players. They wanted uh, draft picks and and losses, and that's what they got. Sure. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. The. You know the uh, the Drew Holiday trade is is kind of fascinating in retrospect because I mean I, I get the idea you know you he, he's about to get expensive you know he's he was an all star but he was kind of borderline type all star and maybe you, he's going to get expensive so you want to get some assets for him but yeah they what they ended up getting was New Orleans Noel they got a first round draft pick I think that ended up getting flipped for Dario Saric now you would much rather have what Drew Holiday has done since 2013. Um, 
you know, in his career than anything that you had for those guys. Then I know when you make these trades, you don't know that, but that seems like, you know, a flaw in the whole process thinking um, to a degree, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's, I, I have a lot of issues with how the process has, you know, went down and, and, and more, more issues, not necessarily with how the process went down, but how people react to the process, like everything that Sam Hinkie did, which is perfect. And they're exactly right. ready to be and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, dude, they traded a 22 year old guy that ended up carving out like a really good NBA career in Drew Holiday or 22 or 23 or 24. I forget where he was somewhere in that range. We ended up carving out a really good NBA career. And, and, and that's one of the things that I always had an issue with the process sixers is that it, it like, they weren't trying to build play. They were just straight up like asset collecting and 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 trying to lose. Where I like my rebuilding teams to to find and identify players that are going to get good and 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 going to be good and kind of build and, and and work around them. And the Sixers were not interested in that whatsoever. You know whether you know Drew Holiday would have been kind of the centerpiece of like a decent team. I, I don't think so. I think they probably would have still been pretty bad even with Drew Holiday. You know even if he is the top player on their team. But they just yeah it was one of many guys that they, they let go. And and yeah that's kind of the the unfortunate or the thing that people don't talk about is you know I mentioned there Jeremy Grant was you know drafted by the team and just kind of let go for nothing uh you know you know Tobias Harris at one point will be uh kind of go through there Drew Holiday will go through there you know Justin Holiday who ended up carving out a decent uh ish career I mean there's many many guys that would go through you know the Sixers pipeline and then just be casted off because they were trying to you know collect assets and and uh yeah I don't know yeah it's 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 and and obviously I mean they got the assets they got for you know they were able to get in Beaton Simmons I mean I I guess on like the larger level I guess it worked but on like it, it just seems like um like I don't necessarily have an issue with the approach. It was more, I guess, a lot of the execution of that approach. And, and quite frankly, yeah, there was definitely a cult surrounding that for a while of just like, oh, everything here is great. What are you talking about? You know, any right. criticism of it is like, you know, you're just a dinosaur who doesn't understand the modern NBA or whatever. But right. and they also they, they, drafted Nerlens Noel and, and Jaleel Okafor as well. So well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> Noel Noel kind of made sense. Uh, sure. he, he just didn't end up being as good. Yeah, Okafor made no, no sense at the time. But anyway. I, yeah, we digress. Um, yeah, I think that is actually about all that. That's we, it. Uh, a lot of bad yeah. teams, some good players, some fun yeah. along the way. We're a gog right. about. Uh, we're a gog about. To finally, for the first time ever, talking about this topic, and the first ever. We'll never talk about it again. Hopefully, right. For, <laughs> okay. the, the first time we talked about the worst, the best part of the worst teams. The first time that we've talked about testicles on this uh, yes. program. Oh yeah, a lot of firsts. Uh, a lot yeah, of firsts on this year episode. Here. So yeah. So yeah. Um, you know, everyone, of course, you know, you can uh, find uh, uh, the podcast at uh, if you go to um, the step back at fansided.com in the fansided NBA section, there's all kinds of uh, fantastic content there. And you can also, uh, you know, we are on all of the uh, podcast uh, services. If you want to, uh, you know, leave us a rating and review on our podcast or Stitcher or uh, wherever you want to go. Uh, take advantage of the promo code uh, fansided20 at manscaped.com mm-hmm. for uh, to support us there as well. And uh, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook at Over and Back NBA. So thanks again for listening, and we'll be back again soon. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, 
innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.